Well, it's my privilege to uh, move on to the final part of our program and introduce to you our main speaker, a gentleman that grew up in Montreal, Quebec, and somehow ended up in Steinbach, Manitoba. How does that happen? <laughs> Anyways, I want you to give a big uh, Yorkton welcome to Mr. Don Bouchard. He's going to tell us all about himself. Be open, be enthused, make him welcome. So I guess people don't hate Frenchmen too much out here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Like the chief said, there's a great feeling in here tonight. Oh, you guys want to hear me? See, we're the same height, so... Yeah, I shrunk two inches. I like to believe that. My name is Donald Bouchard. I grew up in Montreal. But, uh, you know, I, I live in southern Manitoba. By the grace of God, I guess God needed to bring me there to prune me. Uh, Frenchmen are wild, eh? And when you end up in a Mennonite town like Steinbach, it changes the way you see things. <laughs> so what God can do, Steinbach did. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, it's stupid to say that, but I had to learn how to drive all over again when I moved there. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever driven in Montreal. Uh, it's like a beehive, eh? And uh, in, in Steinbach, it's, it's the opposite. It's like cattle. Yeah. Yeah. So what I did is I went from racing cars to joining Team Penning. Hey, I got a clap out of those guys. Any cowboys in here? <laughs> Not many, hey. <laughs> I love Yorkton, too. Um, I love Yorkton because uh, great things happen to me here. I, I'd like to, uh, to, uh, to give honor to Sister Richardson today for the many years of uh, pioneering work. Sister, can you get up? And my wife, Chantal, for putting up with me for these years. Was it that bad? You know, I wanted to test. <laughs> We've been married for 15 years. And uh, we got remarried uh, this summer. I just wanted to make sure it was true. <laughs> it was a good time. We had a beautiful time. And the most beautiful thing, there was no family there except for us. We had a beautiful wedding. And... Uh, yeah, we've had such a beautiful time in Steinbach. You know, when you obey God. I was in Montreal, and uh, I've been witnessing across Canada now for over 20 years, 25 years, giving my testimony. And people say, why do you testify? Well, my favorite verse in the Bible, it's, uh, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So if you want to be an overcomer, get yourself a testimony. And I'd like to say tonight that the greatest testimony isn't that goofball like me that ended up on the skid roads. It's people who can get up and say, I was preserved. That's where the glory should be. You know, uh, a lot of times we put too much glory in the man of sin, but we all have a testimony, and God had intentions for us to preserve us from sin. So if he's merciful enough to save some guy like me, it's good. But the majority of the people who live like I did don't make it. Most of my friends are dead. So I'll speak on their behalf, but... You know, 
I, I do a lot of work in Teen Challenge. Uh, you guys heard of Teen Challenge? Great, great work. Um, I uh, preach in jails. Great place. Uh, I love jails. Um, people say, aren't you scared to, 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 to go in jails? Uh, actually, you know, I'm, I'm not. I love going to jail. I'm scared to go to churches. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, I was in a church one day, and I asked the pastor, I said, I'm going to speak next week. Do you mind if I introduce myself? He said, go ahead. So I went up, and I said, you know, I, I told him exactly what I told you tonight. I said, I'm, I, I, I'm scared to preach in church because you'll all sit there and judge me. And that's how I introduced myself. And I walked off the stage, and the pastor yelled at me. He says, Donald, this is a rehab. And that's the way it should be. We go to church to get better. We don't go there to judge one another. You know, um, as we were getting married this year, my wife wanted this dress. You know, I didn't want a dress, but she wanted one. And uh, you'd almost think I was going to wear it because I had to be with her, right? And then, you know, it looks good. You look slim. You look this, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I know all the lines, right? So <laughs> I, we were going into the, uh, the, this dress thing. What do you call that? Dress parlor? <laughs> Anyways, somewhere where they feel important. So I, I, I went in, and as I went in, folks, um, there, was a, there was someone leaning against the wall that looked like a monster. And uh, I walked by, and I was smitten. I couldn't tell if it was a girl or a boy. You want me to hold the mic? How do I do that? Uh, I, I'm a walking preacher. You know, I might need that again, though, because my arm might get tired. <laughs> so I, I was walking out of this uh, dress thing, and I saw this, this person I couldn't identify. The person was scaly and burnt to a frazzle, and I couldn't recognize if it was male or female. So I went to my car, got something, and I came back. And as I came back, I, I gave $20. So I walked into the, the dress thing there, and I, God just slapped me one. He called me cheap. Is that all you can do? 20 bucks? Folks, we try to get away with giving money. That's not important, because if it was, Jesus would have walked around handing out $100 bills. Peter and John said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So, I walked out of there, and uh, I was walking to my car, and I have these illustrated Bibles in my car, and the Lord told me, go get one of these Bibles. So I went and got one of the Bibles, and I put another $20 in the Bible, and I leaned over, and I said, hi, I said, have you ever seen a little Bible like this? And it was a little girl. Her name was Amanda. And she, her face lit up. And she says, I know this book. I know this book. She says, uh, so I sat. I said, can I sit with you? She said, yeah. So I sat right next to her. And uh, I said, Amanda, I just want to talk to you. I came here to bless you today. She, I said, what's your story? What happened to you? She says, my boyfriend lit me on fire. And she says, I have no more feelings. I said, where do you live? She says, I live underneath the bridge. I said, how do you last the winters? She says, I have absolutely no feelings. So I sat there. I said, Amanda, her name was Amanda. I said, Amanda, I came here to bless you today. But I said, you're blessing me. I said, can I pray for you? And I reached my hand to her. 
scaly body and touched her and embraced her. And for the first time, you know, I realized it's not our money. It's to love people and to reach to people where they're at. And as I prayed for her, I felt such an anointing and a presence of God. And I said, you know, I said, could you tell me what happened to you when you lit on fire? She says, I died. I said, and she says, I went to heaven. And she says, it's so beautiful up there. She says, all I saw was joy and so much joy. I said, Amanda, I really believe you. Folks, I could have missed out on that opportunity with a sloppy $20 bill. God wants us to reach people in every condition in whatever state they're in. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. We see this, the scars of this girl. But how many people we meet every day that are just as scarred on the inside and we walk right by them? I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on people, but I've realized one thing in my life, that I want to live for Christ. And I want to do everything possible that one day when I stand before my maker, the guy standing next to me won't tell me, you knew of this and you never told me? I don't uh, believe in the spectacular. I believe in the supernatural. Uh, Spectacular brings glory to man. Supernatural brings glory to God. I was walking by this church and I see, uh, come in, God renovates hearts. And I thought, how phony. Since when does God renovate? God transforms. I don't believe in renovation. I believe in transformation. And God is able to transform you from darkness to light and change your life completely. And um, I remember one day I was in Vancouver. We lived there for many years. And I, I was going to church and I saw this lady. She was pulling out this big God made out of plaster and she was carrying it. And something came to me after, you know, she's carrying her God, but my God carries me. And that's the difference between religion and the supernatural. Religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, You know, we say, how do we bring people to Christ? Um, I was talking to a gentleman. Where is he? Right there, this beard and mustache. That's you. I was, I was, yeah, that's you. And he's, he's got a French wife. Um, and something we were discussing, and very, very important, you know, how do we breed people into the kingdom of God? Well, it's very simple. When my wife and I became intimate, children were born. Sorry, I, no details, but... <laughs> when we get intimate with Jesus Christ, children will be born in the kingdom of God. Uh, it's not too religious. If you came to a religious service tonight, you, you're off track. This, I am anti-religion. I'm all about touching Jesus and tapping into the source. Mm. Chief, you put the timer on. I forgot. So that doesn't count whatever I said before. Uh, you know, uh, b- before I start my sermon, as we were sitting at that table, this brother enlightened me. And uh, Randy told me, he says, you can preach till 10 o'clock, so I'll, I'll, touch this, I'll touch this subject just a little bit. Um, you know why a lot of Christians are so unhappy? I, the most unhappy people I've met in my life were Christians. Uh, should I say that? Is that okay to say that? I've met some miserable Christians in my life. And if you have, if that's the salad you're trying to sell me, I'm out. 
I'm out. I like joy. I mean, I was in the slum. Hell was breaking loose, and I had a smile on my face. And I see Christians, their chins touching the ground. Whoa, like, don't try to sell that to me. So that's why I like to promote Jesus Christ, because I don't believe in failure. I believe in victory. Uh, anybody believe in victory? You know? People say, oh, I want a trip to Hawaii, and people are losing. Ah, Hawaii. I want a trip to heaven. Yeah, and we can't rejoice over that. Wow. Where, where was I going with this? <laughs> the biggest problem with Christianity today is uh, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. People think they deserve to carry something that doesn't belong to them. Like, wow. You know, we've got their user's manual here, and it and doesn't talk about that. It talks about forgiveness. So if you have unforgiveness in your life tonight, this is a good night to get rid of it. Unforgiveness is like a stone. There's three things you can do with this stone. You can take this stone of unforgiveness and put it at the foot of the cross. Wonderful experience. You can take this stone of unforgiveness and put it in your pocket. Carry that weight. Nobody knows about it sometimes but you. But you can go your whole life carrying that heavy burden. Or you can take that stone of unforgiveness and throw it at someone else. I've been hurt and so will you. But you know, I've decided in my life to let go of everything. So if I look happy and sweet, it's because I've, I don't have anything in my pocket. I don't carry luggage. I don't carry baggage. I don't carry trash. We make inventory all the time. Do I need to carry this in my life? Should you have free room and board in my head? You know, like, why should you? There's not much room in there to start. And, and people think they deserve to carry these things. Like, you don't. Like, let go and let God have his way. It's just a beautiful thing. And this is why I love old-time songs, because you can get rid of sin just by listening to one song. My, uh, my father-in-law, we grew up in Quebec. It's very uh, religious. And my father-in-law had never been to church in his life, but he knew a little bit about religion. In Quebec, we go to church, uh, funerals and weddings. Now everybody's living common law, so they just go there for funerals. But <laughs> So my father-in-law, he, was, uh, he doesn't look like me. He's ugly. He's big, big, ugly guy. I'm saying this not to... He's, if he was here today, I'd say the same thing because we love one another so much. We've accepted him. I mean... <laughs> I, I, he walked into a, a gospel mission one day in Montreal and uh, he had never ever felt this, anything like this in his life there was a guy, a gangster we were four gangsters at that time that got saved my father-in-law had, was been, had been invited by this other gangster and uh, he said okay I'll, I'll, I'll go because the guy was convincing you know go to church I'll kill you, you know? so Anyways, my father-in-law goes up the stairs. It was on a second floor on St. Lawrence and St. Catharines. It was, that area was completely dominated by the Hells Angels and the Mafia at that time. So my father-in-law goes up the stairs, and you know he had never been in a place like that in his life. My father-in-law was a collector for Frank Catrani. He was a hitman. So he walks into a, a, you know, a holy roller kind of place. You know? So he comes in, and there was this big guy. He weighed about 350 pounds. His name was Brother Lemaire, and he was giving out songbooks. And, and my, in my father-in-law's head, he figured that was the bouncer. 
So he got, right away, he was going to make his territory and take this guy down. So he looked at this guy and said, oh, you're on my list. So he goes and sits in the back of the church and filled with anger and hatred. And uh, the, there was an anointed minister pre- preaching the gospel under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what happened is my father-in-law had gone there with another guy and, and uh, he just kept eyeing that that the guy at the door, and that guy at the door had gotten saved, just a beautiful salvation. He was a bartender and met the Lord, and he was just, comp- just filled with joy. I remember he was a big guy, and he'd shake his head, and his cheeks used to fly all over the place. And, you know, he was just a loving kind of guy. You just wanted to hug him, you know. And uh, here my father-in-law sitting in the back, and all he's thinking about, I'm going to take those cheeks off your face, you know. And this is how people think when they're not saved, and they're in the underworld, right? But this is where we need to understand where Jesus Christ is king of kings. So here there's a 99-pound preacher preaching, and, and she used to hit that pulpit. Boy, the nails used to go popping in the ceiling. And, and, and my father-in-law is sitting there. He doesn't, doesn't understand what's going on. It's his first time. And uh, in those days, we had altar calls, beautiful moments. You know, Anybody know what an altar call means? Well, in Steinbeck, they don't know, but <laughs> they're all saved, right? And, uh, but I did find a church where they have altar calls, so we stuck there. And uh, so there's this altar call, and, and my, my father-in-law is sitting there with all this, this rage. But in the process of the preaching, God started to work in his heart, which he didn't know, but it was happening. So the preacher there used to say, everybody down on your knees. So, you know, or, or come to the front. So his friend went up to the front, and he, he said... Yeah, that guy must be much better than me because I'm not going up there because God would never want a guy like me. So he got down on his knees and he put his head between his hands and he started to think. Then he says, you know what, I'm going to go. So he walked up to the front. And by the time he got to the front, the Spirit of God hit him so hard, he got completely, completely converted in a moment of time. He walked to the front and got... He got completely saved. So don't tell me it takes 20 years to get born in the kingdom of God. I don't, I don't buy that. So he went home, and his wife looked at him. She says, Denis, you cried? He had never cried in his life. He says, yeah. He says, I went to this place, and he says, something happened. Well, she says, I'm going to go. She used to wait in the window and watch all night, and the cops are going to come and say, come and identify your husband. Now she sees him that he's been touched, and she doesn't know a thing. I mean, this girl is a street girl. So she went, and she got saved wonderfully. And uh, the children got saved. <laughs> Cute dude. <laughs> she doesn't look like her father. <laughs> and, and, and nor her mother. <laughs> well, anyways, thanks for marrying me. I just I love this girl so much. And... Uh, so many people got saved at that time that were in the underworld because of one salvation and, and people that were on fire for the Lord. And I remember the guy that invited my father-in-law, he, uh, he went to court, and he was a heavy gangster. He used to work for the South Shore Mafia, and he used to smuggle people, and he had machine guns in his car all the time, and, and he'd blow up people's cars. And his name was Andre. Andre was about smaller than us. He was like five foot one or two, and he had a stiff neck. He couldn't turn his head. He'd always turn like that. So Andre was a fireball, though. When he got saved, he just set the town on fire. And uh, I remember he was on the streets giving out gospel tracts. You remember those? Um, 
And he'd say to people, come to this meeting, I promise you, you won't regret it, or I guarantee you, or something like that. And then people would come, because he was on fire, and it's contagious, right? So, anyways, we believed in restitutions. I don't, it's still in my Bible, but anyways, it's not in a new version. But So he went to, the, he went to court, and uh, he, 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 said to, he said to the judge, he says, I want to confess my life. So the judge says, uh, well, who's your lawyer? So he says, Jesus Christ. And the judge says, well, tie him up, please. <laughs> no, but you see, he went there with Jesus Christ, and Jesus stood by him. And Andre stood bef- before that judge, and uh, he, he confessed his whole life. And I mean, this guy was wild. I mean, and, and the judge looked at him, and he says, Andre, he says, you know, for what you just told me, I could put you behind bars for the rest of your life? Andre says, yes, Your Honor. And the judge looked at him. He says, if Jesus forgave you, so do I. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's beautiful. And, and that's, that's Bible. And uh, uh, my father-in-law, he... He said, I want to try this too, eh? So, <laughs> so, so he, went to, he went there and he said, the judge says, well, who's your lawyer? He said, Jesus Christ. So he confessed his whole life and the judge threw him in jail. <laughs> and it's a true story. And uh, this is not a Pentecostal court. So anyways, he went there and you see, God works one way, one, one day one way and another day another way, Right? Like, why does it always have to be one way, you know? This is what I love about the Lord. We're all of different DNA and different souls and different needs. And God could meet each and every one of us where we're at. So here my father-in-law goes to jail. But he had, the reason he went to jail is not because he confessed his, his life. That was forgiven. He had pulled the guy's eye out, like socket. Like, right? So he had been charged for that before. So he, he, he was convicted for that. And he, how long did he serve? Six months? So he went there with a big fat pack of tracks, and he started handing tracks around. And there was this little guy there, his name was Albert, and Albert was afraid to drop the soap. I mean, he wouldn't shower, and he wouldn't eat, and he wouldn't do nothing. I mean, he was walking around like, whoa, this is scary. And he he just isolated himself. And my father-in-law, like, saw this, that this guy's going to die. He ain't going to last very long in here. I know you guys have never been to jail, but... he went up and he talked to him about Jesus Christ. And Andre, uh, Albert was in there. And I, I mean, Albert was sniffing glue and, you know, this, this, it wasn't happening very, it wasn't a happy place up here. But he got these tracks and he went into his little cell and he started reading these tracks and he said, Lord, if you get me out of here, I promise I'm going to go to this gospel meeting. So here Albert gets out of jail, goes to the meeting and these guys were like, East End, Montreal, I mean, all they eat is macaroni, craft dinner. I mean, it's the low-end Montreal ghetto. And he invites his whole family, and the whole family gets saved. You see? And my father-in-law, when he got saved, the babysitters got saved. And how many people? I mean, all kinds of people got saved. And you say, why did your father-in-law go to jail? He went to jail to get Albert. You see? And it's just beautiful. I mean, I can go on with... Oh, man, what time I got here? I can go on forever. You know, I, I, I've been going to churches. I've, I've ministered and preached in about 60 churches in six years. I, I, I'm almost up to 60, eh? It's amazing. And I've seen all kinds of dead religion, folks. Dead. I mean, I went to this church one time. I mean, the pastor was so dry, he sneezed dust. <laughs> I, you know, it, it was, 
It was scary. I mean, I literally got, I got thrown out basically of Bible studies. I go in there, and, and these people are dry. I mean, they're sitting there, and it cracks, and it's just like, and I go in there, and I'm on fire for God. It's church this morning. I'm sitting there, and people are like, whoa, whoa, Bouchard, slow down. We don't do it like this here. Well, how do you do it? it this is not mortuary, man. This is church. I go to church to have a good time. Don't you? If I want to die, I mean, this is all kinds of places I can die. You know, I ain't ready. I, there's a lot of life in this Frenchman. What we've left, what are we left with is a social gospel. You take the spirit out of the church, what do you got left? Nothing. I mean, if you want to get bored, go to church. That's why I don't go to church. I go to rehabs. I go to churches that act like rehabs. I go to churches that are there for the salvation of souls, that are not there to put people down, but to lift them out of the miry clay. If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we say that, don't we? We've said that since I, I mean, I can still hear the echo. But why isn't Jesus the same in your, our lives today? Jesus hasn't changed. We have. So let's change our mentality tonight and start thinking in the Word of God. You know, I see people complaining about darkness. They complain about darkness and... and uh, they complain about crime, and they complain about sex trade, and they complain about this. And yet they sit at home for four hours and watch it for entertainment. <laughs> is, is something wrong with that picture? Why do you complain about crime when you entertain yourself with it? I don't like that movie, There's No Blood. Well, it, folks, there's absolutely nothing wrong with darkness. Darkness is simply the absence of light. The absence of light. So if the world is dark today, it's your fault. It is, and it's my fault for not shining the way I ought to. You know you know what I like? We were talking there, and stuff was coming out, you know, and when two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. Did you guys ever read that? What makes that verse so special? Where two or three are gathered in my name, not in this doctrine's name, not in this organization name, but in my name. See, when God moved in the days of old, the Bible says they were all gathered in, in the upper room in one accord, not in disaccord, in one accord. And then the Spirit came, right? And whenever they were gathered in one accord, the Spirit of God came and the earth shook and all that kind of stuff. See, we go to church now, and everybody's locking horns over one scripture. Whoa. You can have it. I'm going to go somewhere and witness. Okay, before I start here, I, I'd like, this is a, <laughs> I, don't worry, Randy, I'm scaring you. <laughs> can I have my glasses, Mom? I call her Mom. This is so offensive to some people, but I call her Mom. And the other day, I was at Staples. Do you have Staples in Yorkton? I know you do. And uh, I had been there the week before. So I go back in there, and the girl says, I remember you. She says, last time you were here, you were with your mom. <laughs> and then I thought, I haven't seen my mom in five years. I thought, oh, this is catching up to me. All right, the word of God. I'm not preaching here tonight. I'm just sharing. 
And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. If I don't say the names right, forgive me. That's how we pronounce it, where I come from. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Wow. When's the last time you heard someone cry out in church? Jesus, help me. Jesus. And many charged that he should hold his peace. So I guess they did have religious people there because the religious people always get you to shut up. The minute you cry out for God, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't do it like that here. We, uh, we do it over coffee. Yes. We have these cell groups. Um, <laughs> sorry. I guess it's my Montreal side again. Uh, they, should, they, they told him to, to shut up. Like, you say shut up in Yorkton, right? Uh, hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. That's beautiful. He cried even louder. Like, he didn't care. Did you ever get a point in your life where you don't care who's listening? Because you got a need that is so big that everybody becomes, like, it doesn't matter anymore. And he cried a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. You see, Jesus, uh, he heard him the first time. Do you believe me he heard him the first time? And Jesus stood still. If you can get Jesus to stand still in your life, boy, if you're in for a ride. See? But you're not going to get Jesus to stand still when, when no one can hear you. And, and Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calls thee. So could you imagine the same people who told him to shut up, now they're telling him, Oh, be of good cheer, you know. Uh, he's calling thee. They're jumping on the winning side all of a sudden, right? And this is how it is, you know. When God's about to bless you, the people who oppose you will try to join you. Uh, so, uh, be of good comfort, rise, he call it thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? You see, when, when Bartholomew cast his garment... He cast everything he had. He was his prized possession. We don't understand that because we live in high mortgage homes. So he took his home, his protection, the thing that kept him against the elements at night, the only prized possession he had, he throws it. There's all these other beggars that, whoa, whoa, man, he's losing it, man. I'm going to grab that jacket. When you let go of something for Jesus Christ... But trust me, someone will pick it up. But if you think you can serve Jesus Christ without letting go of the thing that identifies you to your misery, you ain't going nowhere. So here he comes to Jesus. Jesus looks at the jacket, and he looks at Bartimaeus. He says, this guy has the elements to be saved and healed because he's willing to let go before he comes to me of the thing that identifies him to his misery or his sin. And he's, so, he's got so much faith that he knows that he'll never need that dirty rag again. Do you get the picture? Isn't that beautiful? If we come to Jesus, letting go before we come in, it's like two drunk guys, right? They go to church, right? And, and like these winos. And they got these big, I, I can see these two big bottles, right? So I, I, I go to church tonight. Yeah, yeah, I go. 
so one takes this bottle, and the other one goes, whoa, man, he's, I'm going to take my bottle and put it here in case I don't get saved. So they both go to the same church. They both go to the same church. They both hear the dead sermon or the live sermon. They both hear the same message. One comes out of there shouting glory. And the other guy comes out of there, didn't work for me. I knew it. I knew it. I'm going to go back. And that's the difference between someone who wants to get saved and someone who is playing church. So, what will thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith had made thee whole. And six months later, he received his sight. The first two months were a little bit better. Then it progressed, and then he was wearing bifocals. The Bible, my Bible says, I know there's so many new translations out there, I can't keep up, but I went to the, I keep my old stuff. And immediately, he received his sight. He, immediately, he walked in his miracle because of his disposition of heart. It's his faith that got him healed. His. His. So what happens to you tonight depends on you. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. That's all I know. <laughs> I left home. I was, uh, I was uh, 15 or 14, 15. And from the time I, I was born, I remember this as if it was yesterday. I was two and a half years old. I had creatures. I can't tell you what they looked like, but they were dark creatures would come into my room. And it's as clear to me as if it was yesterday. And I'm just over 29. <laughs> but it's clear, clear. And I used to go into these tantrums and these my mom told me that I was so disfigured that it was scary. And my mom used to plead the blood. And, and these spirits would leave and they would come back and they would leave and come back. I really believe that I was cursed when I was born. I won't go into the details today, but I lived a tortured youth. I left home the first time. I was five years old. And uh, I came back quickly. But the thought was there. I remember at five years old looking outside and saying, is this what life has to offer? I remember I was on the balcony on the south shore of Montreal, and I looked up and said, stinks, man. This is horrible. I'm, I hated life at five years old. Well, you're playing with Bambi. I'm, I'm hating life. So I tried to leave home, and I saw these two big garbage bags, and I got scared and came back home. And, but see, Satan had his hand on me tremendously. And uh, I remember stealing my mom's keys to, to leave home and uh, it's not wine it's, uh, it's another bottle it's before it was just an example uh, I, I forgot that cars ran out of gas but anyways so I was I think I was 13 when that happened and uh, I just couldn't wait to get out of my house and I would get into gangs and gangs every time and my mom had to move and and one day, my mom had found an apartment in, a, in Montreal, in Verdun, a very little place. It was a little flat, they call them, and we had a basement. And my mom thought, well, you can do woodworking in there. And she thought, you had a little yard. And so my mom was so happy that finally she had found a place where her boys and can, can do something, right? So I get, I get into I mean, trouble up to here in, in, in Montreal in the school in Verdun. It was a very, very tough ghetto school. 
So a principal calls mom and whatever. I can't remember what happened, but my mom comes up to me and she says, Donald, she says, I had found this perfect place. She says, I can't believe I have to move again and find you. And we got to move again. My mom cleaned half the suites in Montreal. I mean, we'd move into these suites. I mean, there was so many cockroaches in there, the linoleum would move. And, and my poor mom had to clean these suites time and time again because I was getting kicked out. And she, did, she worked so hard. It was just unbelievable. And, I mean, we moved into these ghettos. I mean, because we were poor. My mom was making like $10, $15 a day in, in her good days. And I remember we'd come home, and, I mean, I'd go to school with cockroaches in my pocket. I mean, they'd come out. I mean, we'd play with cockroaches. I gave birth to hundreds of them. And uh, we had no toys. I remember we were so poor, folks. We had no food, and, and my mom would, uh, I remember one time, she says, you know, we have no food. She says, I have flour, and I have salt and water. So she mixed all that, and she served it to us, and I mean, we were glued to the table. <laughs> but we never felt, we never felt like we were treated wrong, because it was, my mom had the Holy Spirit, and we, we were loved. So whatever happened in my life, it ain't her fault, but situations, right? But the Bible says that if you train a child in the way that he should go, later on he won't depart from it, you see? Don't forget that. So, so here, uh, I, uh, we, I mean, I, I remember we'd come home sometimes. We were, I mean, I've tasted bed bugs. I mean, I've seen the, the godfather of cockroaches. My, one time we come home and we had these Raid bottles. I mean, we, we lived off Raid and Kellogg's, eh? But I remember taking this bottle out of the thing and I sprayed under the counter and legions legions of cockroaches came out and a big white one and they're very rare but I saw it and it affected me (laughs) and you know I left home and uh, I remember my mom when I she said Donald we're gonna have to move again and it was a hard job for her to move she did it we had no father at home right so uh, she had to move with three kids in extreme poverty. And I, I, I looked at my mom. I said, Mom, this time you're not moving. I am. And her face just dropped. She had done her level best, prayed with me, brought me to church, sacrificed, cleaned these dirty houses. Now she says, I'm going to move again. And I'm saying, no, I'm leaving. She, her heart dropped. And I remember leaving that door. My mom was weeping like a baby. I can never forget that. And I turned around. I said, I'll never in myself, never, ever see your face again. Because like most people today, I didn't want authority over me. I was in charge of my life. But at that time, if you'd have told me that within a very short period of time... I would be smoking tea bags and picking up cigarette butts off the street and living like a, a, an animal. I'd have cursed you because I was invincible. I was so invincible that I remember jumping, trying to jump off a garage with an umbrella. And uh, there was a little Christian guy walked by. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to jump off. He says, with what? I said, with this umbrella. He says, you're going to kill yourself. I said, no, no, watch. He says, no, don't do it. He was bleeding the blood. No, but I... I was wild. I, I was the kind of guy that adrenaline rushed. I used to run. I don't know if you've ever seen the suites in Montreal. We have these parapet walls. Like, it's like a little wall that goes all around these apartment buildings. And then you've got the roof, the flat roof. 
I would run. I would t go up the, the the ladder and go up on the roofs in Montreal and run on a, a, a seven or eight inch parapet wall. Run 40 feet in the air. If that tin of flashing would have caught my pants or my shoelace, I'd have flown down to my death. But I would come home, and that was my excitement. That's how I loved to live. I would run on roofs that were rotten and just stand at the peak and look down 40 feet. The devil was out to destroy me in every way possible. But I wanted to serve and be free. So I left home, and, you know, I was raised a very strict church boy, and we weren't even allowed to wear running shoes at home because it was worldly. And you ever have a mom like that? So we had little church shoes. Uh, these are in between. But I, I, I leave home, and I don't know much about the world. All I know is I want to do it my way. And then people used to come, hey, where are you from? You're different. I said, what do you mean I'm different? I don't look like you? They said, no, you're different. I remember going to a party. I just not that long I left home, and I, it was a big party, and people were getting drunk and stoned. And so I walk in, you know. I wasn't praising God, but I, almost, you know. I praise the Lord. Yeah. Want a beer? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. No. But I, I was religious. I was brought up in church. So I, I walked in. I stepped on this guy's stove. Right? I said, oh, sorry. He says, where are you from? Uh, Montreal. He says, nobody says sorry around here. So I didn't know how the world acted. I didn't know how these parties went. So wherever I'd go, people would say, there's something different about you. So I said, well, this, I got to do something to ruin this image. You see? Jesus said to Peter, Satan desires to have you so he can sift you like wheat. Take every good thing out of you. So I started to ask questions. How do I walk like you? How do I act like you? That people won't recognize my, this Christian thing in me. It just bothered me, right? So first thing you know, I was walking. You ever see how they walk today? Like, Yo, what's up, man? So I, but that, back then it was a different thing. I can't remember how it was, but... I started acting like an idiot. I started wanting to look like the world. I started wanting to smell like the world. I wanted to talk like the world. I remember a girl. I was going out with this girl. I didn't know she loved me then. <laughs> and so I, go, I went out with this girl, and she said, I'm going to introduce you to my grandma. So I, I go over there, right? And, and I was raised to, be, to you know, respect the elders, right? So I walk in. Hi, how you doing? Hi. God. So... We went home, and I was like, goody two-shoe. This girl says, why did you act like that tonight in front of my grandma? I said, well, she's your grandma. She says, just be yourself. Oh, really? Okay. So next time we went there, and I was like, dropping F-bombs and, you know, and all these things. I was trashing, and I was trying to be like the world, right? Years later, when I gave my life to the Lord, I met her, and she says, you're such a loser. She says, I told that girl, let go of that guy, boy. You see? But I was trying so hard to, to enter that realm and be like the rest, right? And uh, so drugs came my way, and people, I, I, no, I don't need that. I said, well, what do you mean you don't need that? We've been smoking drugs for years. Do we look crazy? Do we look off? And I said, well, no, but it's an opinion. But finally, I started to smoke drugs, and it didn't do anything to me. So I, I, I started smoking and smoking and smoking, and nothing happened. So... All of a sudden, one day, I'm washing dishes, and I'm washing this plate. And my cousin comes and says, you've been washing that plate for a long time, dude. Oh, I'm stoned, man. I was stoned for the first time, right? And I thought, wow, this feels awesome. You know? So I thought, well, there's no harm to it. 
So I went on and went on. Then I got into the LSD and all that kind of stuff. And first thing you know, you're into crack and coke. And it was just an amazing. You just go from there to there all of a sudden. And uh, I went through some really, really hard times. And I, uh, when you try to toughen up, what you do is you'll get yourself into deeper gangs and harder gangs to identify yourself. And the first thing I knew, I remember a girl coming up to me one time when I was selling drugs. I was probably around 17 or 16. I can't remember. And I says, well, why did you come to buy drugs from me? She says, well, when I want to buy drugs, she says, I look for a guy that looks just like you. And I thought, yeah, I'm in. I finally look like one of them. See how stupid sin can make you? It's amazing. It'll dull the way you think. It'll kill your taste buds. So I, uh, I started selling drugs, and then it got bigger and bigger. I got into this. I met this Colombian guy, and he says, you know, Donald, he says, you're a good dealer, but he says, you need to get in a lot deeper than what you're at right now. So I remember my first pound of uh, uh, black hash. It was a gold seal black hash. I think it was worth about 960 bucks back then. So he says, I want you to come with me. And he says, this place is extremely heavy. He says, I don't want you to sweat or show any sign of fear. Because he says, if you do, you're out. So I, I said, okay. So we walked in there. And we, we knocked on this guy's door. And this little guy opened the door. He looked like John Lennon. And uh, I thought, well, you ain't too scary. you know. Then he yelled out to his prostitute girlfriend. And she came out. She looked like skim milk, transparent. I mean, her skin was white. You can see through it. A total junkie. He says, it's 960 bucks. So she counted out 960 bucks. And back then, it was a chunk of change. It was lots. And I saw this baby come out of the room on crawling with about five pounds of manure in his diaper. And I thought, it hit me. Wow. They can't feed this child. They can't take care of this child. And they got money to buy $960 worth of drugs. See, now I'm starting to think where I come from. So if you think what you've done for your children is in vain, it's not. It's always at work. And the more you pray, the more it works. I would phone home once a year because I hated phoning my mom. Can I talk about Jesus again, right? So, yeah, I phone home and you need to get saved, Donald. We're praying for you. I like, stop praying, you know. Because I knew these prayers worked. I hated that. So my mom would uh, send uh, me invitations. The missionary would go to Edmonton every year and hold meetings, and I would go and spend some time there. And uh, God started to deal with me in a very, very special way. You know, I, I started pimping girls. I was very young. I don't say this lightly. Uh, you can hate me for this if you want. God has forgiven me. I, uh, I started doing this life out of desperation, and I just I had lost everything. I had fallen into the darkest pit of hell, and uh, I seen things. I remember one of the girls that used to work for me, my partner. He was a Mac pimp, and he uh, she come up to the room one time, and she wanted me to uh, she wanted to resign from doing what she was doing. And I had this other girl that worked for me at that time as well. And this all happened outside of my room. And the other pimp that I was with put a gun to her head. And he says, you're not leaving. You're going to keep on working for Donald. And 
there was these two guys next door. They, when they saw this, they cracked the door open. They said, well, come in. So when the door opened, she ran into that room and found rescue. And all of a sudden, I get this call from the uh, Calgary police. Come out of your room, hands behind your head. So I come out of my room. I didn't even know what had happened. And uh, there was like shotguns coming from every direction. And they just, boom, right on me and locked me in. And handcuffed me, and, and then I, it took me a little while to figure out what had happened. And uh, finally, I lied my way out of it. So, because I was a professional liar. And I remember the chief of police, he was jumping like that in front of me, screaming, You're lying to me. I know you're lying to me. And he couldn't do anything about it. And uh, as I walked downstairs, I saw the girl who had called the cops that used to work for me. And, and I knew, like, she, just, she was just melting there because she knew she was dead. And because uh, rats don't last long. So I looked at her, and, and I could see the terror in her eyes. And so shortly after that, I, uh, I had to take the, uh, my partner, Delroy, to, uh, out of town because cops were looking for him all over. I mean, the, the streets were covered with cops. And uh, so we, I got him out of the hotel. He was hiding somewhere in one of the rooms, and we went to this other place where this other guy was. And there was a, a girl from Colombia that had been kidnapped, and she had tracks going all the way up her arms, and, and she was forced to work in the trade. And Delroy told me, he says, we're going to take these girls and we're going to go to Regina. And he says, we're going to, we're going to start doing the, the, uh, the stuff out there. And folks, I got kicked out of every motel and hotel of Regina. Your cops are very active there, man. And uh, I didn't know it was an RCMP training town. <laughs> so, uh, you know, every, nar- every morality in narcotics would, uh, I-, I wouldn't have cops come after me that were, like cops, it was always uh, undercover cops that were after me, and they'd get the key from the front room, from the desk, and then come and open my door and charge into my room every morning. And finally, there was a hotel that I, could, I was able to hide there for a little bit. And uh, one day, I was in uh, in Regina, and I was dropping off one of the girls downtown, and uh, the taxi driver, um, it was a, it was a, just ordinary poor-looking man, nothing fancy. and So I said, uh, I was a very quiet guy. I, I you know, still am. But. And I, I just dropped the girl downtown, and as we were driving off, I was very stone-faced. I didn't talk very much. And, and he looked at me in the mirror, and he says, Hey, boy, he says, you know, the way you live is the way to destruction. So I thought, whoa, talking to me, you know. Uh, I thought, mm. I knew where he was going with this. I could feel it. So I, I waited a little while. I said, yeah, I know that. He says, you know, boy, he says, I used to be in the mafia in L.A. He says, I drank 26 ounces every night. And he says, one day Jesus Christ got a hold of my life. He says, my wife was a prostitute. He says, one day Jesus Christ saved me. He says, I run a little church just down the street. He says, I want you to come there tonight and give your life to Jesus Christ. I said, oh, my God, how do I get away from this guy? He's a zealous guy, you know. So I thought, what do I answer? I said, I said, you know what, buddy? Even if I go to your church, I can't get saved there. Cornered the guy, you know. He says, why is that? I said, I, I come from a good Christian home, and if I want to get saved, that's where I got to go. But you see, well, I didn't know that he was a real disciple. There's a difference between disciples and Christians. Right? So he says to me, he says, you're right. 
He says, if you come to my church tonight, you can't get saved. Well, how do I answer to that? He cornered me, and I didn't know what to say. I was really mad. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do for you, though. You've never seen this guy in my life. He says, I'll drive you to the airport right now. He says, I'll buy your airfare. And he says, you go home. Make things right. Wow. Blew me away. Folks, that's serving God. That's serving Jesus Christ. If you guys know a guy named Mike Breckenridge, I'm still looking for him. I found him, though, two years after I got saved. I said, uh, I phoned the taxi company. And you know, when, when he dropped me off at the bar, and I, get, I walk in this bar, and all the pimps are there hanging, you know, and I walk in, I sit at the bar, and I always ordered a cognac, and I get in there, bartender comes up to me, says, what are you going to have tonight? Nothing. I was so convicted. You see, he didn't choke me with a bunch of tracks, and I shout that in my face, and you need my religion, it's the best one, and we're filled with the whole spirit, and bobby pins go flying all over, you know. He, he just loved me. And he offered me something. I, he, he cornered me with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I didn't know what to say. What do you say to that? I'll, I'll offer you. I'll buy you a ticket and I'll drive you. I'll, I'll let I'll, you go home. Like, whoa. So I, I'm in this bar and I'm like troubled. I just got my mom's praying. And then this taxi driver's going to buy my airfare. And so I told him, I said, look, Mike. Mike I said, I can't. I can't take your offer. I got to go to court. And I'm, I'm hung on. I got to go to court. So he says, that's It's okay. But he says, I want you to know that I'm here for you. Folks, that's discipleship, man. That's Jesus in action. That's the good Samaritan. So my life started to change at that point, And uh, things started to happen to me. So I went back to Calgary. Oh, yeah, I was going to get to that. After I got saved, I phoned him. I phoned the taxi company. I said, do you guys have a guy named Mike here? She says, yeah, but he's not working tonight. But if you want his number, I'll give you his home number. <laughs> they don't do that. So I phoned this guy up at home. I said, Mike, I said, you remember me? I said, you witnessed to me two years ago. He said, I said, you offered to pay my fare. He says, yeah, I remember you. I said, I just want to tell you that Jesus Christ saved me too. And he was praising the Lord. You see, there's a chain reaction there. You see, had I not called him, he would never know. Your testimony is never in vain. You don't know when you talk to someone how it's going to re- react and respond later on. So here he's lucky enough to know that his testimony wasn't in vain. I've testified to zillions of people. I don't know what happened, but I'm not going to stop because I know Jesus Christ is at work when you plant the seed. So here I went back to Calgary, and uh, I, I, I did things for entertainment. I didn't need the money. I, was, I had lots of money on, on the streets. And one night there was a beer strike, and I robbed an underworld club in Calgary. I mean, I don't know what got into me. It was two blocks away from the headquarters of police station. So I go in there with this guy named Alex. I said, Alex, we're going to rob this club tonight. It belonged to the underworld. I mean, I get caught, I'm dead. But you remember me running on those 40-feet walls? Adrenaline, right? So this club was target for me. It was fun. And there was no beer in the club, except for upstairs there was a beer cooler with all-American beer. So could you imagine unlimited beer for free? So me and Alex went upstairs, and we hid under this table. It was a little smaller than this, much smaller. It's about yay big, and big yellow ochre tablecloths. And me and Alex hid under the table. Around 3 o'clock in the morning when the bar closed downstairs, the guy came upstairs, and I could hear the money rattle, and he was going to count the money upstairs. And the table's right by the, the stairs. I thought, Alex, if this guy sits here, man, there's no more leg room. We're done, right? 
So he went and sat somewhere else, counted the money. Anyways, we ransacked, we destroyed the bar trying to find that money. We never found it. So around 4.30 in the morning, I told Alex, that we're not leaving here with nothing, man. We're going to get all the hard liquor and we're going to bootleg. So we got all these boxes and we're packing all the hard liquor. And we're going to call a taxi and load it. And all of a sudden, around 5 o'clock in the morning, I hear a set of keys. So we grab our machetes and, and, and we're waiting at the top of the stairs to, to get this guy. It was the caretaker. Did I expect that? Of course not, right? So, so we grabbed these yellow tablecloths, and I made myself a turban. So I was going to run out that club because if everybody, anybody recognizes me, I'm dead, right? So I, I ran out of the club, and we both had these yellow tablecloths. Like, we looked stupid. I mean, we're running down the street with these yellow things on our head, right? And all of a sudden, I said, what am I doing with this? I threw it away, and I just keep running. And, and that we didn't have cell phones then. So he was at the, the, the caretaker went to the, the booth. And he was calling the cops, right? And thank you, Jesus, that we didn't do him any harm. So I ran and ran, and I was a very heavy smoker. And, of course, the drugs, I was, I was falling apart. So I'm running, and my lungs are starting to bleed because I can't run. So I told Alex, yes, you go your way, I go my way. Within three minutes, all you can hear was, there was cop cars everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I, I, I couldn't dodge. I couldn't, I couldn't, there was, I mean, they were the headquarters two blocks away so i i said you go your way i go my way so i all of a sudden i hear freeze i turn around there's a young cop there and he's got a nine mil to my head he says yeah, he says freeze so i looked at him he said he's scared he's more scared than i am so there was about nine foot drop into this underground parking and i jumped there and and he didn't shoot and and i, I thought, okay so i ran off and i lost him and i saw this little pink garage it could have been like the garage behind our Chinese restaurant. I don't know. Who paints his garage pink, right? So there was a little broken window, and I leaped in that window and just collapsed. You see, you guys probably know what the word peace means. Me, peace, meant the cops aren't there. Love? Well, that was another story. I won't go there. But the word peace, I didn't know what it meant. Because from the time I was born, I was tormented, tossed from pillar to post. So here I'm in the bottom of this garage, and just <gasps> probably the first time I thank God for anything. And I thought, peace, peace. I really felt peace because I was I could hear the cop cars, but they couldn't see me. So I thought I, you know, I I was just the right point, just beautiful. And I'm just all of a sudden I hear. Arr, 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 arr. get closer and closer and all of a sudden I hear I mean it was like like as many cockroaches that came out from underneath the cabinet there was dogs the canine and the SWAT team was out I don't know what they were doing there that morning and all of a sudden I hear this voice either you come out or they go in I looked out I mean these, these dogs were laying rubber their nose came from here, went all the way here, like that, and the teeth are like that, like French blood, eh? And at that time, there wasn't that many Frenchmen in Calgary. So, novelty. I, I said, look, I'm coming out. So I, I crawled out that window, and I fell to the ground, and these cops took us in, and they brought us in, and we were both, me and my partner, in the same car, and, and Alex looked at me. He says, Donald, when you go to jail, he says, you got to start kicking butt. Well, I didn't feel like kicking butt. I was drunk. My lungs were bleeding, and I was tired. I was more worried about what time they served breakfast. So 
they get us into the slam. I thought, this is great. Another moment of peace, because this slam was just one guy sleeping there, most likely a cop waiting to hear our stories, right? So we walk in, and Alex goes and kicks this guy in the gut. Like, I mean, right in there. So I thought, well, what did you do that for? I mean, we had the best cell. And the cop took me and threw me into this tank. I mean, this tank, I was the smallest guy there. Could you imagine? I mean, guys were huge, and, and there was like a little toilet in the middle of the room there. And I thought, oh, that's not a nice picture here today. And I sat there, and God started to talk to me. Like the prodigal son, what are you doing in this pig pen? Right? I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and home. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. How come in the pig pen he knew exactly what to say? I'll sin against heaven and home. He knew which one came first. He didn't know that before. So I'm sitting in, there in jail and it's coming to me. I've sinned against heaven and home. What am I doing here? And I started to bother me. So I, I was released. Can I extend this, Randy, two more minutes? Uh, so I, I was released, and the cop says to me, he says, you have to go to your preliminary hearing. So I get out of jail, and as I walk out into the courtroom with the two officers, guess who's there? The owner of the club. Wow. There's the, my name's on the list. I'm starting to lay bricks. I mean, I was scared. So, cop leans over to me. I mean, the courthouse is packed outside the courthouse. Cop leans over to me. He says, Donald, did you, you're pleading guilty? I said, yeah, man. I got caught right-handed. Like, what, you never, ever plead guilty. But at that time, God was already working in my life, so I pleaded guilty. He says, how about if I represent you in court today? Because the court is packed. I said, hallelujah. <laughs> yes. So, he represented me in court. So, the owner of the club never saw my face. He's not beautiful. God start to intercede in my life because he's answering mama's prayers. So here, between this time, I committed a crime. For me, heaven was always like a big piece of steel. I never felt contact with God. I always felt like I'd never pray. I feared God, but I never could feel him. You know, you ever feel like your prayers are going to the ceiling and coming back down? Well, mine didn't even make it to the ceiling. So I, I'm, I commit this heinous crime. We... we uh, we did this guy in because he owed money, and I wanted to cancel my debt, so I went and picked him up out of the biker's club, and I hired these two bullies, these two hitmen, to, to take, take, take him outside, and they smashed his face in a concrete wall beyond recognition, and he dropped to the ground, and I walked away from that scene. All the club had emptied and watched this thing happen, and nobody interceded. It was an ugly, ugly situation. So as I was walking away from there, for the first time in my life, I heard God say, this is your last crime. And, for the, and the heaven just went as if it's unscrolled. And for the first time in my life, I felt God's eyes were upon me everywhere I went. I literally walked around like this. It was the most uneasy feeling. So one day as I'm walking, I'm going to my hotel room. And I mean, I'm, I'm a big time pimp at this time. We're dealing crack. I've got a, a crack room in my, in my hotel. We're running a 15-story hotel. So I walk into this, uh, I walk to go, to go to my hotel room, and I go to put the key into my keyhole, and an evil spirit got a hold of me. I can't even describe it. I, I felt I was completely out of, my, out of control. My hands started to reach for my eyeballs, and I wanted to pluck my eyes out, and there was absolutely nothing I can do. I wanted to scream and holler, but I thought if I do that, all the gangsters will come out of their rooms, and I'll lose every corner I have in the streets. 
So I was against the wall, and I crumbled down on my, like this, and my hands were going like this, and I'm trying to resist grabbing my eyeballs. And all of a sudden, I said, God, if you take this away from me, I promise one day I'll give you my life. Immediately, the most outstanding love of Jesus Christ just fell in that hallway. It was so powerful, so beautiful. I could taste it. I could literally touch it. The peace that surrounded me. It's as if you took me from a deep freezer where I was shivering to death and put me in a warm, cozy room. I had never, ever felt that in my life. I was in ecstasy. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever experienced. But I didn't get saved right away. But God started to work in my life. And I remember I was in a junk house one day and we're smoking dope. We're, I mean, we're high like kites. And I, I couldn't believe it because this experience was so real to me. And I remember telling all the hey, guys, guys, I know this preacher in Montreal. Whoa, man. If she prays for you, your life changes. And all the guys, whoa, man, Donald's bad tripping, man. I said, no, this is real, dudes. And the guy's like, oh. I remember one guy got up and he came up to me. He says, Donald, if you give your life to God, I'll do it too. So I said, okay. So all of a sudden, God convicts me. Police officers come and pick me up and they said, Donald, you got to get out of town. I was in with the bikers over something really, really harsh. And he said, you got to get, get out. I said, I'm on probation. I can't leave. He said, pack your bags and get out. So I packed my bags and took off and I went to Montreal to my mom's church. Nobody knew I was coming. Nobody, nobody knew I was coming. So when I got to Montreal, Satan told me, you're getting saved, right? Live it up, man, because you'll never live again. See, what I didn't know is when you live in the, in, the, on, in the world, you don't live, you exist, right? So I didn't want to go to church that night. I was getting hammered. I, I remember going to this club. I walked in this, this restaurant, and I punched this guy in the kidneys. So, and all of a sudden, the whole place turned on me. I had to run out the back door so I didn't get killed. And I thought, oh, God, this is getting worse right at the minute. So I'm with my brother, and we're at the Greyhound station where I had put my luggage. And uh, guess what? A lady from my mom's church is standing right there. She'd have never recognized me. I looked like something the cat drug in, but she recognized my brother. She says, oh, Michelle. Michelle is French is a guy's name. And <laughs> in case you might get mixed ideas. Anyways, she says, Michelle. He's Michelle, hey, that's Donald, man. She looked at me. Oh, my God. So I got convicted. This, this girl's going to go to church and say to my mom, Donald's in town, and I ain't getting drunk. So I said, huh. Oh. So I hopped on the bus, and I had all these chains that would identify me to my sin, right? And remember the story I told you, Bartholomew, right? So, sorry, Randy. So I go, I get off the bus, and here's this little gospel mission. And I'm going to go in there with all my chains and my pimp gear, right? And I, I'm, I'm a bit cocky and arrogant, and I didn't want to get saved. I tell you right now, I didn't want to. I was at my dead end, so I'm going to give Jesus a last a try in case, you know. So I walked in there. Well, Before I walked in there, Jesus literally told me, who do you think you are to walk into church like that? I said, okay, there's an apartment building right next to the church. So I, I go to the apartment buildings, and I strip myself of all these chains that identified me to my sin. And I walk in. Folks, you know how churches are. You went like a chair reaction. Donald's here, Donald's here, Donald's here, Donald's here, Donald's here. And all of a sudden, I see my mom's head go, ooh. She couldn't believe it, you know. 
But the beautiful thing is the people got together in one accord and they started to pray, boy. They started to pray and I started to break down. I remember they used to put their arms in the air and just praise God in one accord. And I used to, oh my God, and I used to, it was so beautiful. And I hate church with a passion. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm enjoying this. And I thought, what's wrong with me? And then I'd come home, and I had these big duffel bags with weapons, and name it, it was all in there, the whole commissary of the street, right? And all of a sudden, the preaching was so hard, they preached against sin. And I would come home and get rid of this, and all of a sudden, I'd pour my Mickeys down the toilet, and I'd get my machete and this, and throw it out, and throw it. My mom would just look at me and say, praise the Lord, God's working in him. And she didn't bother me. She just let me. So I, I, it was November, early November, and I, they had a prayer room where you'd go up to the altar, and then you'd go into this little prayer room and pray your heart out and uh, with no distraction. And the place used to fill up, and I used to pray and pray and pray. And for 45 minutes sometimes I'd pray, and, and the whole church would vacate, and I would still pray. And then all of a sudden they used to play these little guitars and ukuleles and accordions. And you know those, eh? And, and then all of a sudden the accordions used to stop, and that meant go home right so here I'm praying I mean I'm praying I'm sweating and praying God save me and save me nothing's happening and I'm getting angry you know you go to the next service and Albert gets up and hey, Jesus save me and uh, he's gonna save that glue sniffer and he's not saving me my father-in-law gets up he's getting saved you know God saved him and me you know I'm better looking and stuff right and I was getting so irritated with the Lord and and one day uh I used to smoke so heavily, folks. If I ran out of smokes, I'd smoke tea bags and whatever came with it. And, and my mom used to tell me, don't smoke in my apartment. Go smoke outside because you stink. Okay, thank you, mom. So I'd go outside and smoke, right? So one day, my mom had the bright idea to tell me. She says, every time you go outside to smoke, it's as if you're meeting the devil. Whoa. You talking to me? You know? So I went outside, slammed the door, and I was up, just up in steam, right? And I go outside, and I take my cigarette, and I light it. And my whole body went numb, as if I had never smoked in my life. I was nauseated. I freaked out. I took my cigarette and threw it in the snow, and I walked back in. I was, I was all soft. I said, Mom, something happened to me. It's as if I've never smoked. And praise the Lord, she didn't add to it. So I took my cigarettes, never done this in my life, crushed it and threw it in the garbage. Beautiful, eh? I woke to church that night. And the preaching was hard. I mean, this stuff was hard. Like, I mean, this preacher was like two-edged sword kind of thing. Like, I mean, chop your ears off. So I'm sitting there, but I appreciated it because the harder they preached, the more they knew they cared for me. I, and the more I knew that. Today is different. No, oh, you preached at me. I'm not coming back. If that preacher hadn't preached at me, I wouldn't have come back. That's how I reason. So anyways, so I go there, and I'm praying in the prayer room. And I'm praying. I'm praying. And, and there was this, this, this guy from Ghana. He used to pray right next to me. And he gave up before me, and I kept on praying. I said, I'm going to outpray everybody tonight. And I prayed, and I prayed. And I was hoping, like, a little teardrop in the Virgin Mary or give me something, a breeze, you know, like, a, a, like anything, a chill. I, I, I'd have taken anything. I wanted a sign from God. Like this three, John 3.16, slap on the back, go home, you're saved. I didn't want that. Folks, if I can feel the drugs, if I can feel the hatred, if I can feel the lust, but I'm not going to feel Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, there's something wrong. So I'm in there, and I'm praying, and nothing happens. So I said, God, if I don't come out of here a new man tonight, I'm coming out of here a dead man. I was going to cut my throat. I was serious. I couldn't live with myself. I walk out of there, and the preacher comes up to me, 
and she shook my hand. I said, Preacher, I tried to quit smoking today. Can you pray for me? Preacher said, Yeah. The minute that preacher laid hands on my head, the power of God hit me. It hit me so hard. I fell to my knees and I started to weep and weep and weep. And I remember saying just a few words. I said, Jesus, do whatever you want with my life. Folks, I got up from there. I started to laugh. I mean, it wasn't like a hyena thing. It was like real, genuine, pure, untainted love. I was holding myself, laughing. I felt like I had just lost 150 pounds of weight on my shoulders. I started to laugh and I started to hug. I was void of feelings. I hugged my mom to pieces. I even hugged my sister. And it was absolutely beautiful. I went home that night, folks. I was walking on air. I, I laid down on my mattress. I felt like I wasn't even touching it. I didn't even know what had happened to me. I didn't even know how big it was. But I knew something had happened. I was a new creation in Christ. I didn't know these scriptures like you guys do. I didn't know anything. So the next day they had this, this meeting with all the French people. We call them frogs, right? So I go to this meeting and I'm sitting there. And uh, all of a sudden my heart started to pound. I mean pound out of my chest. And I didn't know what that was. The Holy Spirit had just fallen onto me. I get up to my feet and I said, I got saved last night. I never thought there was that much joy. The power of God just hit that church. The whole church felt the Spirit of God. It was just amazing. Folks, I'm going to cut this short. If I can change, if I could come out of the gutter, the hell, the unhealthy, there wasn't, I knew that if I hadn't gotten saved, I had about two months left to live. I remember going up to the preacher. I said, you know what? I'm going to die very soon, you know? Thank you for the salvation, though. I really, I knew I was going to die. There was, my my days were numbered. So whatever years I've lived, it's borrowed time. And I thank the Lord for that. But I went back and made restitutions to everybody I robbed, defrauded, hurt in any way, shape, or form. I had the most beautiful experiences of my life just a year or so ago, one of the prostitutes that used to work for me on the streets came to Jesus Christ. Her boyfriend just came to Jesus Christ a couple of weeks ago. I've had just amazing experiences. Everybody that I was with in my past life, I was able to go back. Just before I close tonight, just to show you how powerful this is, I had a house where we used to sell drugs, and I used to take my motorcycle in the house. And the, motor- the, the, the landlord never came after me because he dreaded me. And uh, we demolished the house. I mean, we demolished that beautiful home. It was a three-story house, just beautiful place. And it was a poor uh, Hungarian man, and he was devastated. And I moved across the street, didn't pay my rent. I remember I used to suntan on the roof and look at him, and he, you know, he was fixing the house, and he had to change everything in the house. So after I got saved, I, I gotta go see this guy. So I, I told my mom, "Is he coming with me, mom? Make me look good, right?" So I went up. His name was Mr. Dolber. I said, Mr. Dolber, I says, I just want to tell you that Jesus Christ saved me. And I want to pay the damages I did to your house. And uh, he said, no, that's okay. I mean, he couldn't even recognize me. And uh, I said, no, I insist. I insist. I really want to pay the damages I did to your house. He looked at me, and he had big tears in his eyes. He said, boy, he said, just to see you the way you are today, Saved and in your right mind. He says, that's good enough for me. You know, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, people say, I can't get rid of my friends. Get saved. 
You know, sin's always knocking on my door. Get saved. I don't have to get rid of my friends. They ran. Here's Donald. Woo. You know, it, I just walk in glory, folks, and God has really blessed my life. And you know, I went from rags to riches. God has blessed our business and blessed everything we've touched. And like the chief was saying, I'm so careful to give God the glory. But folks, if you have kids out there, if you have your youth pastor and you have youth under your ministry, don't shun to preach the truth. Don't be afraid to preach the truth in love. Because where there's life, there's hope. God bless you all. I'd, uh, I'm an old-fashioned gospel ear. I want to do an altar call tonight, and you don't have to be the darkest sinner if you want prayers for your kids, your children. Can you play some music for us, sister? And I'd like to pray for some of you that God will shed light in your life and save your children. I was in Montreal one day, and, and God had called me there to minister in a convention, and uh, my dad had called me, and it was a full house, and I thought, you know what? I don't like it here. This is a full house of backslidden Christians. And I, I didn't want to preach to these guys. I was like Jonah a little bit, I guess. And I was very critical. I sat there, and God was teaching me a little lesson. And I sat there, and I said, even if I testify to these guys, they won't receive a thing because they're so backslidden. I mean, these guys were backslidden. I mean, So I'm in this church, and I'm criticizing in my heart, and it's so wrong to do that. And God teaches you stuff. So I'm in this church, and I'm criticizing like that, and my dad says, come up, and I gave my testimony, and I wasn't really on fire that day like I should have been, and I walked back to my seat, and this beautiful blonde girl got up and screamed at me. I thought she was crazy. She took her chair and threw it, and she says, I can't believe it that you're going to give a testimony like this. My whole life is turned upside down, and you're going to go back there and sit down. So by that time, I was running to my seat, you know, and my dad says, Donald, come back. I'm like, Rapture, get me out of here. So I said, okay. So I went back and I grabbed the mic and I was cocky and self-righteous. I don't know what you want to call it. I just didn't want to be there. And I grabbed the mic, folks, and I said, look, I'm no great preacher and I'm no great prophet. But if you guys want me to pray for you, I will. And I said, Jesus, I intercede for these parents. I intercede for their children. And the power of God hit the church, folks, in such a mighty way. The whole church got up in one accord, lifted their hands unto the Lord, and we had revival. And folks, we can't judge people, and we can't go by what we feel. It's God who knows when he's going to come in and work. And I learned a big lesson from that. So I never want to close a meeting without praying for your children. Because that's what God called me for, is to pray for the lost.